The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome into a three in, three out offseason Seahawks spectacular. I'm your host, Clinton Bonner. This is, of course, part of the Seahawkers Podcast Network, and I am joined by the Montana Seahawker, Mr. Adam Emmert. Adam, we don't have an OC yet. We don't have a DC yet, but we still got Seahawks content that we want to bring to the flock. How are you doing today? Man, I'm doing great. Just fired up after that uh, new intro there, Mr. Video Man. That was impressive. A lot of fun. Uh, Hopefully these OC and DC hires that we have coming up here will be impressive as well. But some of the periphery things that they've been doing in terms of hiring a staff have been cool and things that I agree with and and like to see. And we'll see how it moves forward here. But uh, initial reports or initial returns for Mr. McDonald, they're looking good so far. So fired up about that. Me too. Me too. Very fired up about that. We are going to take you through a little off-season exercise today. We're going to call it, it is three in, three out. So of course we got to go with the numerology. We got three things. We're going to call it one thing we got right, one thing we got wrong, and one way too early bold prediction for 2024. Before we get there, if you're watching this on YouTube, you see a new frame also. It says grow the hawker and subscribe. YouTube.com slash Seahawkers podcast. Of course, all the audio platforms, Spotify, Apple, wherever you got ears, it's out there as well. The best thing you could do is subscribe, tell 1212s. And if you like it so much, get in the flock.com so you can get the perks. Join us in the Discord. Join us in the Facebook Ring of Honor. We're doing mailbags, mailbags, not bags. Hit that bell button. And this way you also know when we're going live. We got a lot of content to cover this offseason. It's already picked picked way, way up. And by the way, Adam and to everybody else, Brandon is basically getting into draft season. So he's going to have some guests on the Seahawkers pod that you know know and love, I think, coming up very, very soon as Shrine Bowl, Senior Bowl, as we head into this juicy, juicy draft season also. 100%. We got tons to talk about in terms of this entire offseason going forward. It's going to be exciting. But you had a couple things that we wanted to do today. The three things, like you said, what we got right from this last season, what we got wrong. Um, I found that to be much easier to find things. Uh, and then one bold prediction for next year. So Clinton, let's get yes. this up since this was kind of your baby. Thanks. What? Let, let, why don't you do a little victory lap to have a little glow? What did you get right about last yeah. year going into the season? Yeah, so one little Cadillac trot for the baseball fans out there. That's that old game that Adam loves so much. The, the Cadillac trot around the bases, I think the of course. the Egyptians played it, right? <laughs> yes, the hieroglyphs prove that yeah. out, and then some. Probably aliens, most likely, from uh, the looks of it. Uh, it's an odd game, so clearly alien-informed. So the one big thing that I think I, I really nailed, uh, and I know, I know that you think there might be some variance in this one. However, I was out in front with saying, hey, I think we're a, a 10 and 7 team. I missed that by by one. That's not what I'm saying I got right. My reasoning was, I was like, this upcoming schedule is really difficult, extremely difficult. And to look back, now that we get the chance to look back at it, we played the Lions. We played a full-strength Bengals. 
We played the Niners twice, of course. The Rams, who ended up being pretty darn good. We could talk about them a bit. They'll be good next year, too. Played the Browns, played the Ravens, played the Cowboys, played the Eagles. Okay, they were on the descent. Played the Steelers when we couldn't stop uh, you know, a, pa- a paper bag uh, from running on us. But it was a, it was, to me, it was predictable, Adam, that this was would be a, almost nearly a miracle if we were pitching 11, 12 wins. I thought the schedule was really difficult. And I think it also leads into some conversation about the 2024 opponents. And can we look at it at this point and say easier, less than easy, um, and, and figure that out from there. But that's my number one. I know that you're not a huge fan of looking this far ahead at, at opponents and schedule. However, I think I got this one right, man. What do you say? You did. And even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. (laughs) Look, at the end of the day, man, uh, now is the time to go back and look at strength of schedule and try to figure out like what that was and what it meant for the team and all that. And it absolutely lined up with your prediction and you should be proud of that. And look, if you can do it two years in a row, because once a coincidence, twice is a trend. And then if you get me three years in a row, I'll start to buy into this. We can start looking at this stuff. The off season prior to the season starting. But uh, at this point it, it feels more, I don't know, a little lucky than not lucky uh, to get that one. Right. But yeah, I'm not trying to take away from your credit here. You did a wonderful job. Thank you. We'll get, we'll get to your first one in a second, but I think we're really just describing here is that, is that Dave Bloomy barometer where he has, but he puts the tinfoil hat on and it's like, Hey, if we could pass that barometer for accuracy, then I think, uh, then I think we're on to something. Cause, uh, cause Bloomy, Bloomy likes to dive into some, uh, some theories as well, especially the, the travel and off day theories that he's been a, a big proponent of. And we will have Bloomy back on in this, and uh, this, upcoming off season to go through the fantasy football year before that gets kicking and, and going. All right. So Adam, your turn. One big thing that you predicted before the season, what'd you get right? The thing that I predicted before the season, the Seahawks did not invest enough via the draft and free agency to help the run defense. Mm-hmm. It was the number one thing I harped on. Uh, I was made fun of by a lot of people, especially after the draft, when I was really upset that they didn't spend really any of their first two round picks on interior players. I mean, I guess you can count Derek Hall, but again, he plays the edge of the interior defensive line. So it showed up and it was probably the demise of Pete Carroll. It was the reason why this team underachieved this year by our standards and by the standards of the owner and John Schneider and probably Pete himself. And it was maybe the most infuriating thing to watch last off season. And then throughout the entire season, and I hated being right about it. I, I really wanted to be wrong, but gosh darn it, they just didn't do it. In I have a feeling this year is going to be drastically different in that uh, perspective. Yeah, you are. Uh, unfortunately, you, you did nail this one. Draymond Jones, even earlier, like, well, I've been, you know, like, you, I remember you saying, I watched the tape. I don't really see it in the run game. And then he did not really produce as a pass rusher, not the way we thought he might. Jaron Reed was a nice, really nice surprise to the upside overall. Uh, outperformed what we thought we might be getting back from him, kind of got the best out of him again, which is really cool. He had a very solid year. Leo, when he came over, played really well. Great trade as long as we could sign him forward. With that, though, when the draft happened, the one I was looking at the most was still like, for me, like I like Zach Charbonnet, but I don't know if I love Zach Charbonnet. And it's not a Zach Charbonnet thing. It's just that spending a fairly high pick when you've got a glaring need. And this is a thing where you could 
you can fill in the blank later. We see the NFL do it all the time. And we had just gotten K-9 the year before. And I think it was Keanu Benton who went a couple of picks before, before Charbonnet did. And there was lots of rumors that that was our dude and we kind of got sniped. Okay. But that was, that to me was one of the pivotal moments of like, well, man, we really, really could have looked at that interior. And then later we take, you know, Kenny McIntosh in the seventh anyway, doesn't end up seeing a, you know, a a snap or a a touch this year. And, and yet there were dudes and UDFAs and sixth and seventh rounders, fifth rounders that end up having really solid years. So kind of a miss across the board, dude. I wish, I wish you were right, but I also hope and think with McDonald in, an understanding of that, as uh, Schneider said in the game, he goes, look, there was two times in the Seahawks history. One was in 2010 and one was against the Ravens where he's like, we will never look like that again. All right. Well, <laughs> that was a pretty big statement, right? So now with McDonald, I would have to think Schneider and McDonald would be like, we will never look like that again. And I hope, I hope that's the case, dude. It, it ought to be. You know, and the weird thing is, is even though they didn't put enough resources towards that part of the team, at least in my opinion, they really still underperformed from there. Like they should have been better. They really should have been, but it just didn't really work out that way. Like you said, Jaron Reed, he was a nice pickup. It was nice bringing Leo in later in the year. Now we'll see if they can keep him. I really hope they do. uh, Cause he was a, well, he was the best interior defensive lineman that we had. You mentioned the Draymond signing. I was like, dude, this guy doesn't play the run at all. He's more of a interior pass rusher. And those guys can be hit or miss too. I, I didn't love that signing. And then you see a bunch of interior defensive players that were taken either around or after some of the Seahawks early draft picks when they had those four two, uh, first two round draft picks there. You yeah. got to you know, look at the Charbonnet pick. And I'm like, I'm not mad at that one because you have to run the rock. You have to stop the run. To me, it was the JSN pick. And I almost said for my right that he would not be the big difference maker in the Seahawks offense that everybody seemed to think. And I mean, he did have one game winner. That was nice, I guess. But I would have rather seen them trade out of that pick and then pick up more D linemen later or whatever it is. I feel like you can get those receivers pretty much any year in the mid first round pretty friggin' easy. There are a lot of them. There's a lot of them coming out of college each and every year. And, and obviously you see Tank Dell and Josh Downs and, and uh, Rasheed Rice. There were quite a bit, right? And that that's not naming them all by any means. Mm-hmm. I think also there, player 19 was Kalijah Kansi, who we got to see a, a good amount of in, in the, uh, the postseason there. That, again, was a dude who was rumored like, oh, if, if he's there, we might we might pounce on Kalijah Kansi. He's gone one pick before. So I do wonder, I do wonder between between those two players, between Benton and Cansey, did we get double sniped? Because Schneider talked about that too. He's like, well, the board did not fall the way that we wanted it to. And then we end up taking best player available. And and you know, we may we may talk about uh JSN a bit more, a, a bit more here today. But let's rotate over. But I do think you're right. And I and I I I know you're right. I hope we do turn that around. It's absolutely paramount. Let's turn it around ourselves. Now we're going to go to one thing that we just were flat out wrong about. So why don't you take the the lead on this one? What's the biggest thing you could look back and look in the mirror, look to the flock and say, when I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. Oh, let me count the ways. I, I could probably <laughs> give you at least four or five and kind of going through them. I listened back to our season prediction show in 
Hey, you said the big one. So I was going to go with a different one because it wasn't quite as obvious, but you said the big one. I was all in on the big dime, three safeties, Jamal Adams, Julian Love, and Diggs being a powerhouse in the defensive backfield, in Jamal being able to help in the run game and be a difference maker there. And it fell flat on its face. It didn't work in any way, shape, or form. And I couldn't have been more dead ass wrong. Fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely send you a lifeline on that one in the sense that sure. What, what kind of caveat or asterisk do we need to put on there of like a, a healthy Jamal? Because I know he played. I don't know that he was, I don't know that he should have been playing and playing for that long. It just looked like he definitely had lost a step or still still battling back from what was just an absolutely brutal, brutal injury. So I, I will extend that lifeline to you and say, man, you might have been wrong about it, but but do you think there that reason alone injury was a, a big factor? It didn't help, but with that said, I could give you another one too that I was just as wrong about. Uh, Colby <laughs> Parkinson's going to have a breakout year. I, I was just dead certain that he was going to have a huge year. He had one play that looked like what I had envisioned in my mind, the game winner he caught in the end zone, yeah. um, and that was it. Yeah, I remember. I do remember the play. Uh, the tight end room was interesting, and then one of the things that in the very last week when Noah Fant got hurt, for me, there was this, this fairly evident addition by subtraction. And I was a big fan supporter. Like, I, I like this guy. I think, I think he can be a difference maker. And you were like, this is not my, my wrong, by the way, but you were like, all right, but I, I talked to and watched a bunch of Denver football and it's maybe he just ain't it. And, uh, and we'll see how free agency treats him because I, there was to me concentration things with fans or some drops or just some lack of being a really good blocker. And then when he was out and then it was like, Oh, let's, let's refeature uncle will again. Lo and behold, uncle will's doing his thing. You know, does he's plodding along as he is right now, whatever, really still solid in the, in the, uh, you know, in the run game and soft enough hands knows how to sit in zones gets open. Good yak for a bigger dude. Good yak with uncle will for me. A big, what if was what if Noah fan got hurt earlier and it was more a will Disley show. I think we would have, I think we would have uh, benefited. It, it was my conclusion. Not a huge sample size, and, and you, you never know how it would go. So some definite late season bias for me on that one. But it'll be interesting as we go into the into this cycle with like Uncle Will has paid way too much money right now, like way way too much money. So will they cut him and resign him? Will they just renegotiate? We'll see what happens with Parkinson. Fantas is going to walk. Uh, we imagine for sure. And do we draft a tight end? There's, there's lots, lots there to uncover still, but a good topic nonetheless, dude. All right. My big one, you said it earlier and I'm going to own it. Um, my big thing, and I have reasons to still love it, but I was full in on JSN unlocks the Seahawks offense. And that's how I described it. I think we did a video on that. Like the one move to unlock this for several years. I wanted that like the Buffalo bills always seem to have that third dude. That, that this this year was Shakir and he showed up big in, in a couple of games down the stretch. That dude, that dude's a baller, by the way. Um, really good player. But I was convinced that we needed the third weapon specifically on the wide receiving to get into the uh the 11 personnel and then with Waldron and then and McVeigh lineage, magic. It would it would unlock things. Um I think Jason had a really good year. I think stats wise for a third receiver where the top two dogs stayed healthy, 
I've got some things to talk about in a second before that I'd love to get back to you just to go through some of those stats as he compared to some other teams that had well, like three deep, essentially. How do you do against those types of those types of environments? But his two big dogs in, in front of him stayed healthy. He was pretty good as a rookie stats wise and just impact wise. And yet I got to own it. This did not unlock the Seattle Seahawks, Adam. Now, why? I don't know. Do you have thoughts on why this this thing didn't magically make us a 30-point-per-game team? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Well, a couple different things. The problem with this offense for the last couple of years has never been that they just need to be able to have another target so they can throw the ball freaking more. That, that's uh, just not the problem. They need to run the freaking rock more. Like that's That has been the biggest problem for this offense. If you want to unlock the offense, unlock your running backs and have some good offensive linemen in front of him. Perimeter players, especially slot receivers, there's a couple that are game changers and we've seen them over the course of NFL history and that sort of thing. But to be honest, for the most part, it's not a position that totally unlocks or changes an offense on the regular never has under a Pete Carroll team. That's for sure. They just don't use uh slot receivers that way. And then also the idea of getting into 11 personnel more. I was like, no, no, no. Get, get me more 12 personnel. Get the tight ends on the field or give me two back sets or whatever it is. Like get heavier, get more physical. And you said, okay, the stats look fine. Fine. If you want to count all those bubbles, great. Uh, you said the impact was, you know, significant. I don't see it. Um, I don't think that he even had more touchdown catches than Marquise Goodwin last year or the year prior. Um, I thought his impact was marginal at best. He dropped enough third down balls that were critical that made me kind of be like, everybody told me this guy catches everything and was so sure-handed and it just didn't prove out that way. And I don't know, man, I just, I didn't love the pick. I hated <laughs> the way it was implemented and it took touches away from the tight ends and the running backs. And I think that's why it ultimately failed. I think you are right. The thing for me is I do not look at JSN as a dude who is in the slot for his whole, whole career. That's not what he is. Sure. I think he's the heir apparent to, to lock it. And yes, he'll play some slot because he's shifty and, and he could really win on the outside. Uh, he, he'll, as he did against the Eagles to, to win that game that time. And they'll, and I think that'll prove out. I think he's still going to have a, I, I would still put chips on the dude's going to have a, a well above average career, potentially a great career. We, we shall see what happens with that from an impact perspective. It did go back, you know, so 63 of receptions, 628 yards. Okay. That's fine. And four touchdowns. I think, I think it's a marquee said four, maybe a five, but regardless, yeah, maybe they tied. Yep. Yeah, that's fine. But I started to look at teams that are like three deep, like three legitimate receiving weapons. So you go through like the, the, okay, well, who are we talking about here? Everybody will first go to the Bengals. So Tyler Boyd, who is their legit three, 
67 receptions, 666 yards, two touchdowns. But that was also in a huge vacuum of T. Higgins missing a lot of games and Jamar Chase kind of being dinged as well. And then, of course, their quarterback was you know, sideways half the year, except for when we played them, they were full strength, uh, as mentioned earlier. The other one, too, is the Cowboys, where like Brandon Cooks is their clear three. Ferguson was there, too. And then CeeDee Lamb is just another planet, like 181 targets, like insanity. And like a Brandon Cooks, 54 receptions, 657 yards. He scored eight touchdowns. He was a he was a red zone target. Dak fell in love with him around the red zone, and, he, and he's Brandon Cooks, dude, dude savvy. So though, then there's others that are out there, but I wanted to kind of at least pull in two that are like, all right. And I think there's and Brandon Cooks in other parts of his career has been a two and has even been a one. And on the other side of it, there's been lots of like, hey, Tyler Boyd could be. Could be, but I look at JSN. I think he's more skilled than both of those dudes. I think he has more potential than both of those guys. And if you had to say which one does he pitch more towards, uh, he's more towards Brandon Cooks, in my opinion, from a skill set. Uh, and that's pretty good. That's a pretty good NFL player. So I just want to bring those two to the table and see what you thought. I've never been a Brandon Cooks guy. Uh, he's fine. He's a league average receiver. I mean, how many guys can you go? I'm dead serious, man. Go back and uh, go through the stats. How many dudes can you find with a 50 to 65 reception stat line? Uh, I bet you it's maybe two dozen <laughs> or, or at oh, least a dozen. Sure. Per, yeah, no, I, per I, year. I just say that guy is everywhere. That guy I'm, is everywhere. I'm, and, I'm saying Brandon Cooks in, in his top years, which I'm just Googling right now. Just to be like, you know, he's the best of two. He's the best yeah, of where two. Where are we? And Tyler Boyd, again, another meh guy. Like, fine. He's just another dude. He happens to play in an offense that features that position a little bit more. And again, you said the circumstances this year kind of lended to him having a bit more. Can you imagine if they would have taken that draft capital? Let's say they didn't even go with defense and had put it into the offensive line. You know how much better we'd be with two legitimate top threats on the outside and a badass offensive line that you could run behind and protect Gino really well that had done so much more than JSN. Now I was mad about the pick because of what it meant for this last year. And it proved out to be what it was. The people that want to make the argument, you know, about him being Tyler's replacement and all that going down the line. Fine. I guess that's fine. But again, you can get uh, that receiver in the first round any given year there's there's three or four of them every single year so i just for what we needed and how hard it is to come up with legitimate trench players like to spend it on the perimeter on a third wide receiver black black i still hate it all right i i'm definitely uh long term still very bullish on jsn so we'll continue that one into 2024 and maybe beyond uh, i i think we're going to look back at that and be like, that's a, that's a heck of a pick. Cause, cause if, if we end up with the next Tyler Lockett, right. And it's like, okay, well, look, if you had spent the 20th pick overall at any point, any year, doesn't really matter. And you're like, Hey, I know there's no guarantees in life, but this, this thought experiment, if it's like, Hey, we're going to get you the next Tyler Lockett. What does that mean? Eight years of one, one, a receiving uh, and our super clutch player, it's going to cost you a 20th overall pick. I think, I think you just say, sure. Like any of the, when one of those years, yep, absolutely. Get me that next Tyler Lockett. I think it's a pretty easy decision. I realize that's a pretty big leap, but I, but I really do believe 
that's the type of talent he pitches towards. And we do have our big, bold prediction for uh, way too early prediction for 2024. This is back to me. I'm going to lay this out here. It does parlay into some my JSN stuff. My look at this is pretty simple. Um, I might be wrong. I'm not even sure I hope I'm wrong because I'm looking at what does it mean for the team and are we better or are we worse with money considered? Look, Tyler Lockett is owed almost $27 million. $27 million next year. A post-June, I think it's June 1, cut saves $17 million in cap savings. From what I could see from over the cap, people could tell me I'm right or wrong, but I went to over the cap. I'm like, okay, pre-June, post-June, click it. $17 million back to spend. And I could start running things. Okay, we go get a stud guard. And Adam, I'm with you, dude. Pour the money into the offensive line, right? But overall, $27 million, it's way too much money to spend on Tyler Lockett. Maybe there's other ways out of this, but spending $27 million on Lockett this year, I don't see it happening. So my big, bold prediction is something dramatic happens there. And if I have to just call it as a bold one, I don't think I don't think he's on this team in 2024. That's my bold prediction. What do you say? That'd be sad, but for the reason you mentioned earlier about drafting JSN, and then you got a dude on a rookie deal, and maybe maybe can step into Tyler Lockett's shoes and and Bobo. Don't forget more Bobo. And, sure, and then you have Bobo as well. We'll see if the production when he's used in a sparing basis continues when you get him more reps and touches and there's more film and guys figure out how to play his style of receiver and all of that. But his, his, style, his style of awesome and open. I, dude, I'm, Always. I'm not trying to bag on Bobo here. I, I love Easton Bobo. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's always hard when somebody flashes just a, a, a bit. Yeah. To be like, yep, for sure. You can plug him in and he's going to be and a guy don't. that can, yeah. uh, duplicate that or amplify that when his usage is also amplified. So we'll see. We'll see. But in terms of the money with Tyler, you're not wrong, dude. Like that's just too much money for your number two guy. And at the end of the day, Tyler Lockett was definitely one of Pete's dudes in Mm. the, as far as the culture goes and everything like that. I think if Pete was around, I think that this prediction would be, uh, really wrong really quickly. But the thing is, is that Pete's not around and we don't know what Mike's going to do when it comes to some of the offensive players or how John's feeling about things. And you do technically have a replacement of sorts with JSN. So I don't know that he's not going to be on the team, but it could be a massive restructure. That's for sure. It'll be interesting to watch. I am the piece that I keep going back to is the, for me, it's like you might have a replacement with JSN. I, I don't think there's, I don't think we don't. It's like if we get the volume to to JSN that Lockett got this year, I, yeah. I, I realize I realize you want to see it and, and, and you'll see it and you'll believe it when you see it. I get that. I am like, I have seen enough. And I didn't love some of the drops, bubble screen drops. Like, what are we doing? Like, we got to catch those. There was enough of the, enough of the magic moments and enough of the stuff where he's, he's, starting to get open underneath on third downs over the middle in clutch situations. And there was enough of that that I'm like, Oh, if he's featured, if he's not the third dude in that progression with a crap offensive line that we got to pray, Gino can get to that third dude. 
if we fix that a bit and he's the second guy or in some some cases the one guy because you know it's not gonna always be DK. I think it's there, man. And I know, I know we we be going back and forth on this on this whole episode about that, and we shall see. But yeah, man, twenty-seven million. It's a spicy meatball. I'm not sure McDonald's and, and Schneider are just gonna take it and say, well, that's the best we could do there. I think there's gonna be some change and we'll see what it is. All right. How about you though? What is your big, bold, way too early 2024 prediction? Well, uh, get away from the passing game and all of that stuff because this prediction is also rooted in something that needs to happen. And I believe it will. I think that K9 and Zach Charbonnet will combine for over 2000 rushing yards next year. I think that Mike and John are going to pay better attention to the trenches. I think that Mike McDonald obviously comes from the Harbaugh school of thought when it comes to playing football, when they all run the rock, it's one of the foundational pieces of the way that that style of football is played. And that's the culture that Mike comes from. We don't have the OC yet, so it's hard to, you know, know for sure exactly what the offense is going to look like. I mean, even after they're hired, you're going to be guessing to a degree, but you'd have a better sense of things, but there's no possible way that Mike in new OC underutilizes our running backs the way that they have been the last two years with uh, Pete and Shane. Well, I guess there's no possible way that the 2017 Baltimore Ravens could have handed the ball off eight times to non-Lamar touches in the AFC championship game when it was working and it worked all year. And I realized that's not a Mike McDonald thing. I get mm-hmm. that. You know, I realized that they have, they have an OC who's got to go and answer to that, to that call in, in Baltimore. And I hope you're right. I think you're going to be right. And, and the thing is we, Lamar Jackson is one of one, you know, you can say what you want about others and you oh, know, yeah. Justin Fields could be this Lamar's one of one. He's the only dude who could do the things he does in the NFL. And okay, cool. They plan a, or Josh Allen, but they plan a lot of runs around those dudes. All right. Well, they're not going to do that with Gino. I'm still like in the in the big time camp of it's going to be Gino. Gino's a very good NFL quarterback and a first year rookie coach. It's like, yeah, give me the known entity. That's cool. Free square, total free square with Gino. Great place to build from. But he's not going to run him too, too much, you know, a couple times a game, maybe, uh, you know, non-scramble, right? So it's got to go somewhere. I'm with you. And what does that mean? Yeah, those those touches going to K9, going to Charbonnet. I think that's delightful. If we're near that, if that's the 1,300-yard, 800-yard, hopefully it's 13 and 11. Man, we're going to win so many freaking ball games. <laughs> we'll exactly. win so many games and just and keep our defense fresh and, and just have time of possession. It is such a tried and true formula on how to win in the NFL. So I love that. I hope that hope that comes true. All right. So Adam, there was really no news. Yeah, Jay Harbaugh is our special teams coach. Uh, cool. He's been good at everything he's coached so far. And no OC news, no DC news, but we were able to run through this some fun thought experiments on these big, bold, and too early predictions. What do you want to leave the, the folks with? What can they be doing that's the right thing for any flocker out there to do so they're right and not wrong? Well, it's pretty simple. And it's easy to be right because we're giving yeah. you the answers to the test here, man. Hit like, hit subscribe, share it with your friends. You know, spread the word, spread the love. Uh, we're going to do nothing but continue to ramp this show up as we move forward here. And your support to this point has been awesome. And we're going to do our best to earn all those things. But if you feel like we are, get it done, man. Like, see, subscribe, see, hit it. 
yeah, hit all the buttons. We are fired up. It's in, it's only, it's only early February, right? But it is, it is draft season. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have EJ Snyder from bootleg football on with Brandon. We're going to have all sorts of guests on. And then we start to tinker and, and get ready for April and figure out what are we going to do with that 16th overall pick? And then are we going to make moves to get back into the second round? we got multiple third round picks. Are we going to go trench heavy? What's going to happen in free agency? And, and as we reshape this team and someone's new image with uh, Mike McDonald. So, dude, I'm fired up about it. And I think with that, there's only one thing left to say. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.